Volume 1, Chapter 16 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 16 To mark my own heart's restless beat, rock it to its untroubled rest, and watch the growing soul beneath, Dawn in faint smiles, and hear its breath, half interrupted by calm sighs. Shelley From the same to the same, May 1st Upon a May day morn, as sunny and cloudless as this one year ago, we decked Evelyn for her bridal. Her image rises before me now, as she stood in front of her mirror, buoyant with the glad sense of being, radiant with hope and happiness, her bright eyes outflashing the diamond that encircled her brow, her glowing face resplendent with smiles, and her light symmetrical form floating about to the stirring music of her own gladsome voice. But there are painful memories mingled with the brighter recollections of that bridal day. The fearful and despairing expression of her countenance when I awoke her from the half-trance into which she had fallen just before we arrayed her in her nuptial robe, the cloud that had passed over her features, and the shudder that ran through her frame when she stood before the altar, and the question that sealed her fate was solemnly asked. But why should I dwell upon these passing shadows? Prognostics I will not believe them to be. Henceforth, let reason consign them to oblivion. May morning has come again and laid an added joy upon the young heart of Evelyn, a blessing and a blessed burden. I had not paid a visit to my friends in Union Place for three days, and this morning found me at the door of their ever-hospitable mansion. I met Ellen with her bonnet on in the entry. She almost flew into my arms, exclaiming, I was coming to tell you. Evelyn is a mother. Evelyn has a daughter. Walter and mother are almost wild with delight. She was so much overcome by her joyful emotions that for a few minutes she was totally unable to answer my anxious inquiries. Mrs. Willard, who had heard my voice, now ran down the stairs, and for once I felt certain that her exhibition of feeling was unfeigned. She pressed my hand without speaking, and a tear gathered in her eye, a tear that did not contradict the smile upon her lip. At last she said, Dr. R. has forbidden Evelyn to see anybody, but she will not be satisfied until she has shown her little cherub to you. Oh, Kate, it made me feel as I did twenty years ago when I received Evelyn's infant in my arms. It seemed as though I had myself become a mother again. After a short conversation, I was led to Evelyn's chamber. Upon a low couch, supported by snowy pillows, lay the young mother. Never had I beheld her face so pale, yet so calm, so holy in its expression. The delicate veins that interlaced her temples showed through her translucent skin. 
her clear blue eyes clearer than ever were half veiled by their transparent lids those eyes were softened by suffering and by the new and pure emotion which so lately had birth in her soul her redundant tresses were confined beneath a cap bordered with a narrow lace perhaps it was that close cap and the fine white lace lying upon the temples that gave such soft and madonna-like expressions to her faultless countenance one arm lay upon her bosom and upon the other her infant's little head was pillowed she did not notice me when i entered the room for her eyes were intently fixed upon the face of the slumbering babe i spoke to her gently she looked up with a bright smile heaved one sob and burst into tears we were fearful that this agitation might injure her but she quickly grew calm again i stooped to kiss her brow and she pointed to the infant and tried to raise it towards me i understood her action and pressed my lips to its silky cheek murmuring a blessing as i did so you must not speak evelyn said mrs willard warningly indeed you must be perfectly quiet only a few words dear mothers replied she then raising her eyes to mine she said gently is it not a little angel carissima oh such an overpowering sense of happiness crept over me as they placed it in my arms look at its little hands it has filbert nails like yours is not its head beautiful mother do take off its cap and show her its sweet head and all its glossy black hair the fat old nurse now approached us and in a consequential tone insisted that the young mother should be kept quiet at the same time advising me to retire to this evelyn would not consent she promised not to speak if i might only be permitted to sit beside i took my seat at the head of the bed and held one of her hands which ever and anon she tenderly pressed lifting her eyes for a moment to my face and then turning them upon her child again for some time she lay quiet but all at once i observed her features working her eyes were strangely dilated and her lips pressed against each other then parted as though she experienced some acute pain before i could call the attention of the old nurse evelyn with a sudden effort drew her child to her bosom covered its little face with passionate kisses and cried out oh god let it not be miserable let it never be like its mother i know that i shall bring misery upon it i feel that i shall and then again she burst into a violent fit of weeping it would not have been easy to pacify her had not the child been awakened by her too rude embrace and its little wailing voice recalled her to her senses she would not permit the nurse to take the babe but hushed it to rest upon her own bosom though evelyn's agitation alarmed and grieved me i still retained my seat by her side to avow the truth i began to grow nervous and to experience one of those presentiments of evil to which i always dread to give way in a few moments evelyn looked at me again and said in an altered and musical voice walter is so happy 
It was the first time for a long period that I had heard her mention her husband's name with affection, and that one sentence banished my rising fears. Once more I entertained the sweet conviction that the child would save its mother from misery and ruin. It would be a golden bond to link her unalterably to her husband. Her heart would now have an idol, since such hearts as hers must ever have an earthly one. And that idol, though earthly, was indeed a heavenly gift. She was saved, and a shield encompassed her heart from which all Colonel Damoreau's fascinations could never penetrate. I was afraid of lingering too long, and now took my leave. Evelyn had fallen into a tranquil slumber, and I stole from the apartment without arousing her. Mrs. Willard and Ellen as stealthily followed me. "'Walter's delight knows no bounds,' said Mrs. Willard. He was ashamed to propose it, but I knew that he wanted to hold the little darling myself, so I placed it in his arms. You ought to have seen his face. He blushed like a girl, and when he kissed Evelyn, he could hardly keep from weeping.' "'And how is the grandpapa?' questioned I, for no mention of Mr. Willard had been made. "'Very happy, of course,' replied Mrs. Willard, but very suffering. "'He is a victim to dyspepsia, and can hardly participate in any pleasure. "'We leave him alone and let him sleep, which he does half the time.' "'You do not know how my poor father suffers, Miss Catherine,' sighed Anne. "'I wish I could do something for him.' "'You must try to rouse and amuse him,' replied I. "'It is not easy to amuse my father,' returned Ellen. "'Love can accomplish very difficult task,' was my suggestive answer. "'We had reached the street door, which Mrs. Willard opened. "'I had time for no further conversation, and bade them adieu. "'May 15th. "'I have been ill,' and accordingly this letter has remained for a fortnight unconcluded. Ellen was continually at my side with her books and her work, and I feel indebted to her care for my rapid recovery. I left the house yesterday for the first time since my indisposition, and whither should I bend my steps but to the happy mansion of the young mother, our beloved Evelyn. I found her seated in a large easy chair, with her infant in her arms, and its tender head cradled upon her bosom, for she will scarcely permit it to lie upon any other couch. Her lovely features have acquired a new, a reflected expression, since they have bent over those of her young angel. Her countenance was full of placid tenderness and its restless look had entirely vanished. Her voice, too, was never so soft and so low. New beauties momentarily developed themselves with her new feelings, but alas, how little conscious is she of her mighty responsibilities! How seldom does she remember that a soul is placed in her charge which she must train for heaven! How little does she realize that that soul's future and eternal happiness may depend upon her guidance, like an arrow shot from a bow, upon the bent which it receives from her hands. 
and yet her every thought entwines itself about and centres upon that cherished infant. Mrs. Willard told me that sometimes Evelyn would sit for hours with the babe pressed to her heart, gazing upon its little face and unconscious of anybody's presence, singing to it in a low, murmuring voice, words that burst spontaneously from her lips and sprang as involuntarily from her heart. She even fancies that it already recognizes her and smiles in her face and opens its large blue eyes at her kiss alone. I had but little time to converse with Evelyn before Mr. Merritt entered. I rose to congratulate him, and he pressed my hand with delighted warmth. The next minute he was at Evelyn's feet, kneeling beside his little daughter, and kissing her dimpled hands with all the father in his looks. Coldness, conventionalism, and the fear of being ridiculed were absorbed in the paternal pride. The ceremonious man of the world was lost in the father. My visit was but short, for the old nurse thought it was time that Evelyn should return to her couch, and, to my surprise, the now docile young mother made no objection. She was content, so that her infant lay beside her. When I returned to the parlour, Ellen was reading to her father, with whom she had just taken a long walk. Difficult indeed is the task of cheering him. But Ellen, unwearied in her efforts to be of use and to communicate happiness by her very presence, has undertaken to make even his condition less deplorable, and already are the fruits of her exertions visible. She has wrought a remarkable change in Mr. Willard, a mental change which affects him physically. He begins to take interest in life. The books which he reads divert his mind, and though he generally falls asleep after listening to the first few pages, he is easily aroused, and a walk in the fresh air, with Ellen prattling by his side, gives new impetus to the sluggish circulation of his blood, and restores his almost suspended animation. She told me that her sensations were beyond description delightful, when the other day he placed his hand upon her head and said, What a blessing you are to me, Ellen. You have quite made me forget my dyspepsia. Do not suppose that Ellen's new duties induce her to neglect Netta and her parents. As I entered, I met the little girl upon the porch with her well-filled basket on her arm and her primer in her hand. Her thin face is gradually growing rounder, and a healthful glow sometimes tinges her cheeks, but her frame is still fragile and feeble. May 16th The heart, says Jean-Paul, in allusion to a heart that loves purely and warmly, like the wandering sun, sees nothing from the dewdrop to the ocean but a mirror which it warms and fills. Such a heart, then, must Ellen's be. Her newly awakened love of doing good leaves no source through which it can vent itself unemployed. 
let me relate to you a little incident which gave birth to this passing reflection. Yesterday afternoon, I was leisurely strolling through Broadway, our fashionable promenade, when I remarked a figure before me which strongly resembled that of unfortunate Ellen. I accelerated my pace as I drew near, quickly recognized her hat and pelerine. I approached and joined her without her perceiving me, for she was lost in thought. Just as I was about to speak, I noticed that she held a large bunch of flowers, divided with four or five neatly arranged bouquets in her hands. These flowers were partially concealed by her handkerchief, and it was obviously her desire that they should not be visible. The spirit of curiosity seized me, and I involuntarily drew back and walked behind her. But had this sudden curiosity no better foundation, you will ask? Truly it had. Several times I had noticed Ellen dividing the flowers, which are almost daily sent to her sister into small bouquets, and these bouquets invariably disappeared very mysteriously. Twice I asked Ellen in what manner she disposed of her flowers, but she replied that to have a secret was one of the privileges of the sex. I followed Ellen unnoticed until we reached St. Paul's Church. At the corner, imperfectly shaded from the sun by a large and tattered umbrella, sat a very decrepit old woman. Before her stood a small stand, which held two or three bowls of water, containing bunches of the most common garden flowers. With an imploring glance, she extended her yellow and bony hand to almost every passer-by, but few heeded her, and fewer stopped to purchase her uninviting nosegays. Ellen, when she was within a few paces of the old woman, glanced timidly around to see if she was unmarked, and then hastily untying the string that bound the bouquets together, approached the stand, silently dropped them into the old woman's lap, and hurried on. The old woman gathered up the flowers, looked at them admiringly, smelt them, then gazed after Ellen, and then looked at the flowers again, murmuring some words which must have either been a blessing or a prayer. And well she might bless the kind heart which, having no alms to give, had found so ingenious an equivalent a substitute. I walked up to the old woman just as she was placing Ellen's flowers in water and said, you have some beautiful nosegays there. I see they are greenhouse flowers and worth a considerable sum. Sure, and they're worth all the world to me, for it is good luck they bring along with them, croaked out the old woman. They fall into my lap as though they had dropped from heaven, and sure it is seems as though heaven sent them, for it's no less than an angel brings them. Do you know the lady who carried you these flowers? I only know that she is a lady, every inch of her. I never clapped my two eyes upon her before a month ago. 
and never heard the sound of her honey voice but once when she asked me how much my flowers cost and bought a nosegay and since that day it's seldom the sun ever sets without her having dropped a bunch or two into my lap just without ever lisping a word and away she runs before i can tell her how thankful i am and how much money her flowers make me the old woman now offered me one of ellen's nosegays but i preferred to purchase one of my own for it was possible that i might encounter ellen returning home and i would not rob her of the pleasure of doing good in secret we did not meet however and ellen is not yet aware that her old flower woman and i are acquainted End of chapter 16